Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, the legendary, the legendary, legendary Randy Erickson, legendary heading south as you're listening to this, headed for the 50th annual Baja 1000 off-road race and extravaganza. I will be with uh, Campbell Racing. I'll put a link in the uh, show notes to their Facebook page because that's where I'll be posting everything. So I head to Denver, meet up with uh, Mike Palmer, who is the driver of the TT57 trophy truck, who is not driving this year, but will be doing support. Actually, I think he's going to be driving one of the legs. So um, <clears throat> I'll be hopping in with his crew and heading for... Ensenada, and then about four, five, six days of uh, getting ready, and then 1, 1,100 miles this year. Um, so last year, Shannon, Shannon Campbell is racing with his uh, son and daughter. Kind of interesting. Anyway, they took about 22 hours to cover it, but I think it was a shorter race this year. I should look and see, but that would be like, um, research can't have that happen <clears throat> so I guess that's probably just a long way of telling you that as hard as it is to say no episode next week more than likely although I might try and do something from uh, from down there so you never know it could happen but don't count on it I'm not going to get back until probably Thanksgiving, but I'm going to try and get an episode that week because we, I mean, we only have one, we only have one tradition in the podcast, and I can't miss that. So that will be there. Just might be a little late. Um, guess that's it. Got a dog here helping me. Well, getting her head rubbed as I talk. So, um, that's it. Um, go fast, take chances, and well, when I say go fast this time, we're talking like 120 miles an hour through the desert, so that's really fast. Okay, thanks for listening, and have, no, yeah, have a great run-up to Thanksgiving, and I'll talk to you before then. Bye. Hello, this is Dave. Hey, Dave, you're on the air with legendary Randy Erickson. Hey, <laughs> How's that for an opening? <laughs> well, you know, you let people know who you are, and then there's no confusing it, right? Well, yeah, and I just like saying legendary. <laughs> <laughs> who wouldn't like that moniker? Yeah, well, you know, you blame that on Grant Killian from Untamed New England. He started it. I started it as a joke, and he started it as... More of a joke. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> so, There's no basis for, for legendary. It's just a joke. Exactly. So, done with kids' duties? Uh, yeah, I just got back. Okay, cool. We get to have a chat. So, Great. I got rid of one screaming bird, and I got another one, so we'll see how it goes. So my, what kind of bird? Um, Jimmy... The big one is in the other room. She's a Amazon, and Stevie, the little noisy one, is a Senegal. So, and the chili wow. dog, chili dog, is sleeping at my feet because she keeps close track on me when, especially when Paulette's gone. So, I'm I'm never yeah. out of her sight. <laughs> <laughs> I just lost my dog five four days ago. Oh, that's after ten years. That's that's like the worst thing in the world. Sorry to hear it that. Is. It's uh, it's brutal. It, it, it is uh, my whole family is devastated by it. So yeah. we're just kind of coming out of the cloud I that can, is uh, that stage. Yeah, I, Chile uh, about a year and a half ago, we spent we spent two nights up with her, just waiting for her to die. Um, just, oh. I mean, just you know, had accepted it and was just waiting for it, and then. Like on the second night, about 4 o'clock in the morning, she kind of settled down and slept a little bit. And by Sunday, she was bouncing and jumping and 
So wow, yeah, yeah I really don't want to yeah. go through that again. <laughs> so. Yeah, we had no idea. Um, huh. She had uh, hemolytic anemia, which means her all of her white blood cells are killing all of her red blood cells, and so we had uh, about an hour to say goodbye. That's. I, I, I hate that. And as, yeah. I, I don't want to say it's funny, but it's it's kind of a, unusual how, like, dogs are like horses. They're fine, and then they're sick, and they die. There's, there's, yeah. kind, of, there's kind of no in-between yeah. there. Yeah, that's the only thing wrong with a dog is, is they don't last as long as we do. Yeah, yeah. And you're willing to pay yeah. anything. Like, when Chili was sick, it's like, whatever. When I was sick, when yep. I came back from Primal Quest, it's like, well, I don't know. Should we get, should we get this antibiotic? It's pretty expensive. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, yeah. I had, uh, I had a bird. I've had many birds. I was actually going to get a uh, like an African gray or a, or an Amazon, and my wife's like, "How long do they live?" And I'm like, 80 years." And she's like, yep. "No." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. But uh, those even birds can cost a fortune. So. Yeah, we we had several thousand dollars invested in the dog, and I had no idea. But you know, it it doesn't how matter. How do you put a price on unconditional love? Right? Yeah, yeah. they are the so. best. Yeah. Well, I got a Amazon that some days I put them in a box and send her to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think my wife would kill me. Yeah. Well, you know, you say that, and that is true. Um, basically, our will, because we don't have any kids or anything, our will is just. Is set up to take care of the birds, to you know, to to go to a, a rescue and and fund them. So you know, literally. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. You know, the Senegal Stevie is. What is Stevie? She's got to be like twenty two or twenty three, and I think Jimmy's a year younger. So, and and hmm. I, I, not to brag, but our birds have. You know, we had a cockatiel that lived to be sixteen. So. Um, wow. They and in the morning when I'm feeding, because it's like they get their veggies, you know, frozen veggies we cook, and then fruit and nuts and berries and and while that's going on, then Chili's getting. We literally buy her a quarter of beef. That's what we feed her instead of dog food. Yeah. Wait, and it turns out to be cheaper. Really? Yeah. Well, you know how expensive good dog food is, you know. But, Jeez, yeah. crazy. Yeah. You so, drop 60 or 70 bucks on a, on a bag of dog food, they're like, I, I could keep feed my kids for cheaper than that. <laughs> yeah. So we buy a quarter of beef, um, and it's like like two fifty a pound, and then she gets tater tots mm-hmm. and potatoes. And, and <laughs> get this, we, uh, well, I, I don't say we, Paulette. Will make me go and help her get like roadkill deer, and she'll butcher them up, and we cook that huh. up for the dog. <laughs> so you're one of those guys that's running around on the side of the road picking up dead animals. Once, maybe two or three times a year, it, and it's got to be well. You know, we're in the woods, but it's got to be like really fresh. You know, like within a couple hours and close to the house, and. Um, she calls. She calls game fish and parks, and they're they're like fine, you know. So go ahead, get a use out of. Them. And even if we don't cut them up, we have to take and drag them off the road so other critters can eat them and not get hit. <laughs> uh, well, hey, you know, uh, people look at me strange, uh, strange for doing adventure races, and uh, now I'm going to start telling them that the one of the adventure racers that I know. Also runs around picking up roadkill. Yep, off and, the side of the road for fun. And, so, yep, and feeding it to the dog. <laughs> and <clears throat> and that was solidifier. Solidified yep. uh, adventure racing is a strange brew. Yep, of masochist and athlete. Exactly, and to make it better, Paul, that's a vegetarian. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but she's also a nurse practitioner, so she doesn't mind cutting on people. So. Oh, there you go. And there and you go. and her favorite TV show ever was Dexter. So I I accuse her of pretending she's cutting on a person. Hmm. <laughs> and Dexter she does, was a great show. Uh, until the last season, that's kind of my take. My I, I yeah, didn't, I didn't quite care for the the 
finale of it. You know, the, yeah, the, I was the, devastated by that finale. Yeah. So I loved his sister. She was like such a, a good soul and mm-hmm. so r- ravaged by the whole the whole process that he went through and yeah. And then it killed her off at the end. I was like, oh, "Are you kidding me?" Mm-hmm. Like the one good person in the whole show. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like oh, was that was that just just because you thought you had to do it, or what was, what was the kind of reasoning for that? So I don't know. Yeah. It was interesting that they were actually married. Yeah. So pretty, pretty bizarre show. It, people don't yep, know it, it was. too bad. So what what else do you watch? We'll get to adventure racing eventually. Don't worry. Don't <laughs> <Yeah>. worry. <laughs> so, um, so we don't have TV in the woods. So we, oh yeah, check this out. We still rent DVDs. <laughs> Although, I think that's going to change because we can finally get real internet. But so we like to go back and um, we're watching Narcos of all things right now. So, highly, highly. Oh yes, I started watching that. Yeah, highly, highly recommend it. So, uh, the problem is that I I do most of my training at night on the bike in my workout room. Yep. And while I'm while I'm doing that, I'm also working on my computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have TV running kind of alongside because I've I have quite a setup. It's essentially two. Uh, ultra high def uh, computer monitors and then my laptop that I plug into it. So I have three screens going, plus I have an uh, iPad. <laughs> and uh, Narcos got into a phase where it was all uh, all subtitled. Oh, that and would... when it's subtitled, I have to read the subtitles and I can't work. And, <laughs> and so then I had to stop that. Uh, yeah, I get that. It's, it's kind of amazing that um, I I don't think twice about it reading the subtitles. It's like, you know, within, I don't know, the first 10 minutes of the episode, it's just like what you do. You know, well, yeah, it's fine, except that when you're trying to get work done yeah. and yeah, you're so telling you, your wife that you have the phone on or the, the TV on just so you don't have to pay attention and then you're sitting there reading the subtitles the whole time. Yep, yeah. Work, so, pro- work productivity goes down a lot. Yeah, so um, switch, switch to Ray Donovan. There's no subtitles there. <laughs> that's, that's well. A, that's, I just watch uh, I just watch movies over and over again. So what? I think I'm on um, about 200. I've watched uh, um, shoot. Now I can't even remember it. Uh, the Tom Cruise movie about uh, the apocalypse and the Earth. Oh, I um, it. anyway. No, uh, which one? Uh, I can't that, even remember. Isn't that every Tom Cruise movie? <laughs> What? Isn't that every Tom Cruise movie? <laughs> yeah, well, that kind of is. Huh? Yep. Now I'm on Wonder Woman. I think I've probably watched it 30 or 40 times. Oh. So it just runs in the background over and over and over again while I work so. and ride. So Not uh, a bad way to do it. I get my writing. Can you, how do you, well, can you concentrate enough on work when you're riding or concentrate enough on your riding while you're working? You know, um, the, the riding quality definitely goes down when I, I'm working. Uh, yeah. The problem is that I sweat a lot. Mm. And uh, at a certain point, then my even though I have like tennis wrist guards and a sweatband, mm. they get so, my hands get so wet from the sweat that I can no longer type. <laughs> so on a hard workout, which truthfully isn't very often, yeah. I pretty much just ride to ride and just yeah. kind of watch my watts. Um, I, I get typically do an hour a night, uh, and that's literally literally like probably 75 to 80% of my training uh, is just riding at night on my bike, yeah. uh, typically after my family goes to bed so that uh, I don't miss quality time with them, um, which was actually, it was interesting because getting ready for, for Cowboy Tough, mm-hmm. uh, that one hour per night didn't work. I mean, that wasn't <laughs> any work. That one, it wasn't even close to the trying the training I needed, and uh, so I ended up having to do a lot more training. And I was doing like two hours on the bike, and and I was having to go for like really long runs slash hikes during the weekend, and it uh, it became a significant uh, 
reduction in quality family time. So uh, I think I'm going to wait until my kids are in, all of my kids are in college before I do another one of those. Yeah. But I mean, once, you know, it's kind of what, sort of a once in a lifetime thing having world championships in the U.S. So, I mean, I am, you're, you're making a sacrifice for your family, but, eh, you know, once is okay, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I feel like I had a lot left at the end of that race. Uh, my feet were all messed up, mm-hmm. uh, and it took a month and a half for my feet to heal enough where I could walk on them, uh, like normally. Um, cause I got like really bad blisters, probably half to three quarters of the way through the first 50 mile or 40 mile trek. And, uh, and by the end I'd gone through, uh, like four layers of skin and they were so bad. Uh, and so it really didn't leave me with the ability to push my body, the rest of my body, I should say. Uh, and then we had some significant, uh, inter-team differences in quality like uh our our female was an incredible runner um and uh we had some we had one of the guys that was an incredible cyclist and and it was it was just really interesting the whole process of of seeing everybody go through these kind of mental challenges and and everything was was incredible um i've uh never never really enjoyed enjoyed the hallucinations um from sleep deprivation quite like i did during that race that was that was a true adventure uh i saw a lot of of rock gnomes and some houses that weren't there uh it was it was it was ecstatic i mean i was ecstatic to uh, experience that (laughs) it 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 doesn't did you know that they're hallucinations but but you still can't stop them and and Go. Oh no! I had I had, I had no idea there. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was I was like pointing stuff out. My teammates are like, "Yeah, you're hallucinating," and I'm like, "No, no, no. really." You like you guys just don't see it. And I was pointing it out. And they're like, "Yeah, no." Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. So so the pictures that you took um, after that lake, mm-hmm. um, that lake transit, yes. uh, we took a, a specific route on that lake to avoid the wind that ended up um, basically trashing everybody right behind us. Yeah. Uh, and so we kind of sheltered ourselves from that, but then we ended up getting stuck in that, uh, in that bathroom afterwards. But during the, the lake, uh, the lake paddle, like I'd only slept at that point. I think we were about five days into it. At that point I'd slept about three, three and a half hours total. Yeah. Um, my team had slept more, but I, I just didn't know how to like lay on the side of the road and take a 15 minute nap. That just didn't come naturally to me. And (laughs) I was all amped up. So I was in a significant deficit on that lake and I kept falling asleep while I was paddling. Um, and I knew I was falling asleep because I kept paddling. And and as soon as I like nod off, my arm would drop and I would, I would use, I would basically end up hitting my teammate in the back of the head with a paddle. (laughs) Um, which then, of course, wakes me up, and yeah. it's probably pretty effective at keeping her awake too. <laughs> yeah. uh, so. It was, but it was just—it was weird. It's like you, you can continue to paddle, probably not very effectively, but you can continue to paddle while you're sleeping. Was just totally weird to me. Yeah. Well, uh, I have literally seen my wife at Primal Quest in the Badlands in '09 walk down a trail sound asleep. Um, so really? yeah, they had, they had pushed like, they had done like a, all, like a 40 hour push three or four days into the race to make the, to make the rope sections in the needles and, and finished uh-huh. and finished it at like 2am and they're walking down it. And, um, her, her captain, uh, Brian Contosh, Tosh would just, would just say, She'd be walking and she'd veer off a little bit and Tosh would say, Paul, wake up. And she'd, you could see her, her head shake and she'd walk. And then pretty soon she'd start, you know, pulling off a little bit. He'd tell her to wake up. So, so I believe, really? yeah. Um, I, in the day I can remember doing, I used to, I used to do like 
long distance cycling, you know, 24 hour road stuff and, and, you know, Ram qualifiers. I I learned that I was not a race across America rider, but I was really good at like 24 to 36 hours. But I remember riding down the middle of the interstate at like three o'clock in the morning on a Friday, well, Saturday morning, you know, worked all day, got on the bike at six and thinking, I wonder what would happen if I went to sleep right now. And I knew I could riding the bike. I knew if I just closed my eyes, I'd fall asleep. And to this day, I, I kind of wish I had to see what would have happened if I'd have woke up before I hit the ground or when I hit the ground. Yeah. So I believe yeah, I, think one of the, I, I think one of the technique riders uh, did that in a, in the African race and ended up dislocating his shoulder. Uh, yeah. And having to have surgery on it. Yeah, um, Garrett, I think. Garrett yeah, Lee. it was Garrett because I ended up uh, dislocating my shoulder in jujitsu uh, a ways before him, and uh, my shoulder never came back, and it's still kind of messed up. Uh, so Garrett kind of talked me through uh, trying to recover and all that, but he had better better medical coverage than I did, so he got better. Uh, better uh, uh pt than i did yeah. so and he's hell of a lot better uh shape than i was too and younger so i think it helped that too yeah we're actually really super lucky uh in california we're super lucky because uh this is the only place that i've ever adventure raced except for nationals last year and in cowboy tough this year and uh we routinely have uh tech new which is now amk mm-hmm. And uh, Dart Noon, the, the Van Quarters, yeah. uh, and then uh, two guys, uh, um, Dennis Wilkinson and Mark Pryor, who are all just absolutely amazing athletes. And uh, uh, and it's it's just, I mean, we are so lucky to have kind of the group that we do around here race because we get a feel for for kind of how fast you need to go to do well and. Uh, it's pretty pretty incredible when you have somebody like AMK, Kyle Peter, that's uh, that's able to put an hour on you in a twelve hour race. Yeah, you wonder how they that's did that. Kind of tells you. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of training. I uh, I uh, I do Strava with that guy, and uh, I watch him on Strava, and it's just absolutely amazing. Well, not anymore. He, I guess he's kind of slowing down a little bit. Well, uh, as you, far as yeah. My joke is having that, a wife. Yeah, he he discovered girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my back when I was a, in graduate school, my uh, my worst year of racing was the year I met my soon-to-be wife. So, so it's just yeah, about priorities, right? It is. You know, I guess I was lucky because I met I met Paulette at a bike race, so she had just I think it was her first race. And it was when I was riding, <clears throat> when I was riding pro. So I was just like over with all my friends hanging out. So, um, yeah. So it was still a pretty good year for me. <laughs> but, well, that's awesome. My wife didn't bike race. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, or maybe not. Unfortunately. Yeah. At least one of us is sane. Yeah. Well, it, it within probably six months, Paulette learned that when I said right wait to see which way I actually did turn before she turned after, after knocking her down, you know, four or five times. I think, I think I have a little bike dyslexia cause I'd say right and turn left. You know how that goes. <laughs> so, so well, uh, yeah, that's, go ahead. I was going to say, how, how'd you become an adventure racer? That's my standard question. How did I become an adventure racer? Actually, so I was a bike racer, and then uh, I kind of had to stop that when I was uh, in my PhD program in San Diego. And then I had kids, and I didn't have any time, and I started going stir-crazy. So I started doing uh, jiu-jitsu, like mixed martial arts jiu-jitsu, uh, and I started getting injured a lot and kind of realized that that – that is a young man's sport. And so I was looking for something else, and a friend of mine uh, asked me to go do a mud run. Um, and, I mean, I was a cyclist, and I wasn't a runner, and I'm still not a very good runner. Uh, 
But I went and did this mud run and just suffered like crazy. But then I started doing more mud runs and then uh, doing longer mud runs. And I started doing the, the tough mudders. And then I started, and then I did two tough mudders. And then I did the world's toughest mudder. And, uh, and sorry, two tough mudders in a day, just back to back because mm. 12 miles wasn't, wasn't that big of a deal yeah. uh, at that point. And then I did the 24, uh, the world's toughest mudder in New Jersey, but I did it ap- uh, 10 days after I dislocated my rib in jujitsu. Um, and so I made it like 35 miles or 30 miles before my rib dislocated again. Uh, and then the only way to get it back in position was to, uh, lay on the ground and strike my chest with a closed fist until I had dis- I lodged it back into position. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's amazing the looks you get when you're sitting there screaming on the ground, striking your chest, uh, striking yourself in the chest with a closed fist, uh, until it stops hurting and then getting up and <laughs> continuing to drag a tire or swim across the lake or whatever. But, uh, I got stuck on the top of a mud obstacle and, or I should say a climbing obstacle and couldn't get down because, uh, I couldn't use my right arm and I ended up falling down and breaking my foot. And so, uh, that was kind of my last tough mutter. Uh, I kind of, I don't know. I was looking for something that was a little bit more mentally challenging and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, after you get shocked a few times, it stops being kind of a challenge anymore. Yeah. Stops being fun. And a friend of mine, <laughs> what? It stops being fun. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, kind of, you know, part of, of doing those types of events is reliving them afterwards. Yes. And, and getting past the mind, the mind screw that you get by doing something you've never done before. It's like, it's like a hurdle in life. And so uh, when you've done it and you've been shocked and you're like, okay, big deal. This doesn't, this isn't like challenging anymore, mentally challenging anymore. You look for something else. And I don't even know how I found it. Uh, the, the dawn to dusk adventure races in, in California and San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. And I, I did that and I, I did it with a guy who uh, was the editor of a, of a mud obstacle race magazine in Southern California. And, uh, he was way better. I hadn't kayaked in like 25 years and I joined that race and, and I was dying on the kayaks, but then I was way faster than he was in the run and the bike. And he ended up like taking an hour break in the middle of the race, uh, to, to like take showers and rest and everything. And then we started up again and uh, he bailed like, like half a mile into the second half of the race. Uh, and I think Technu was done by then. Like they finished the whole bloody course, and we were only halfway through. And I was like, "Oh, here's something I'm not very good at. Let's uh, let's continue on with that." Uh, and so I just kept looking for races, and uh, it's been fun. I did the first first few of them as a solo, and that was nice. But you know, it gets kind of boring, and you get my age, and I think you kind of look for people to spend time with. And yeah. I love the challenge of racing solo, but Racing with the team is way more fun. Well, it adds a, a it's a whole other dimension because you've got the the whole teamwork thing, and it, as we know, that can be that can be more mentally and physically challenging than than any race. So. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Uh, in uh, in Wyoming, uh, I really realized because I've always been the strongest guy. Mm-hmm. On uh, well, not always. I raced with Dennis once, and he tore me, tore me upside down and backwards in a twelve-hour race. But um, I've typically been this, one of the stronger guys in the in the races. And then uh, to go into into Cowboy Tough and not be one of the stronger guys, uh, that was totally different. Like the the first ten miles, the two runs, I was just dying. I mean, I had people run holding my backpack on that run and. I was just like in a whole world of hurt the entire time. So that was that was interesting. It's, uh, it's a different race when you're the fastest guy than it yeah. is when you're the slowest guy. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand that totally. So what did you? So you're an hour you're an hour into a six day race and you're thinking, I'm not not I'm not the alpha dog. 
did you have to change? Did you have to change your mindset for the rest of the race? Or, I mean, no, what, no. Just, that's a great. That's a great question. So I'm never a fast starter. Mm-hmm. Um, the first typically three to four hours of a race, I'm typically holding everybody back and. Uh, and I'm just, I've never been, even when I was a bike racer when I was young and 15 years old, I was always a slow starter. And so, uh, I knew that I would work into the race. Um, I also knew that I was the best kayaker and, and maybe the best cyclist in that group. So I knew I was going to have trouble with the, with the running. Uh, and I'm also, I'm also almost 200 pounds. So I'm not a great, uh, not a great climber. So I just knew I needed to get past the, um, past the initial runs and the initial trek and then I would be fine kind of the bicycling and kayaking portion of the races and yeah. uh and ended up we ended up I don't know going into the into the first kayak probably 30th position and or 40th position and ended up passing like 10 teams on a on essentially a whitewater kayaking uh leg yeah. down a river it was yeah. like I mean we just uh we just blasted that and uh so I kind of learned that as long as I can keep the leaders within a reasonable amount of time in the running sections, I can typically do pretty well with them uh, in the kayaking section. And the race we did last week, uh, the dawn to dusk in, in Morro Bay was exactly that. I came off the run, a 10 K run, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes behind the, the lead pack. And, uh, by an hour into the kayak, I'd caught the lead pack, or we'd caught the lead pack, and, and we're dropping them. So, uh, you know, that, that's uh, that's I think every multi sport is like that, right? You can't yeah. be really great, or I guess you can, but I'm not really great at all the sports. So yeah. you have to learn where to where to throw all your chips in and really hammer. And uh, I've learned that that's the bike and the kayak for me, and and the run is just all about survival. Yeah, I I feel your pain when back in the day when I was doing triathlons, I'd come out of the water last, but I was a really good cyclist and I would yeah pass everybody and I could I could run a you know a thirty three minute ten k so I could hold on you know to wow but but that's that's back in the day when you could be like good at one one thing and, and do well yeah. you know now now you got to be like world class at everything to compete in especially triathlon but uh, it doesn't hurt if you're really good at everything in adventure racing either oh what a great place to take a little break and tell you about adventure enablers you probably know them from cowboy tough the ar world championships the shenandoah epic and the fact that i talk about them every week that's probably where Everybody learns about them. Well, anyway, check out the latest event in the AR World Series, the Shenandoah Tough. It's a three-and-a-half-day race in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., a hub of outdoor adventures, including some of the best mountain biking on the East Coast. So if you want to sign up for some grit with a side of grits, yeah, the Southern accent thing again, um, you can learn more at uh, com and adventureenablers.com. And as always, those links will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And now, on with the show. This is it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get some guys like Kyle and uh, that are just amazing athletes mm-hmm. um, and that they've just balanced themselves so well that they don't give up much in anything. And then... Mm-hmm. If you're not comparable to that in everything, it's super hard to to catch guys like that. Yeah, um, yeah. they're they're just that much faster. And I mean, he surrounds himself with total total studs, uh, and so you know, in American scene, they're just untouchable. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to Kyle after nationals last year, and he just won the nationals, mm-hmm. and and he's like, "Yeah, I have a shelf of these at home." And I go, "So do you just, like put them on a shelf?" He goes, "Actually, no, I just." I just throw them away. Yeah. He's like, I don't have enough space for all these. I'm like, you don't have enough space for your national championship trophies? I'm like, I have some space in my house. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. That kind of surprised me when I, one of our conversations, yeah, he said he doesn't have anything. So, which I think might be 
not totally true. I, I'll bet you there's one or two things that he has that might mean something. Of course, now he's got a whole house. He can start a whole new collection. <laughs> so. Well, you know, um, it was it was interesting. I was thinking the other day. Uh, so we won that that race in in Morro Bay, and mm-hmm. and it's a big deal for us. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I've only won two adventure races out of the probably dozen that I've done, uh, and so winning a race. Uh, especially in a team was was super awesome and uh my kids were there watching me or and it was it was a neat experience but people i mean in every race that i've ever done where uh tech new or now adventure medical kits was there they won it and i'm wondering if it like becomes kind of anticlimactic to win a race when you're that good uh it i don't know I, i i I can't even imagine being uh, that good and winning races that kind of handily. Uh, yeah. So I think I think um, being uh, mediocre is awesome. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a bad life. I think the problem is is when you're expected to win. You, yeah. I mean, and I know pressure doesn't bother them, and it, it doesn't bother good people. But you know, what if they wanted to go to a race and just have fun? <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. there's 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 that that thing about I mean, yeah definitely winning is fun but I back in my day again I liked when I could help somebody else win because to me a lot of times that was way more fulfilling than you know stomping on everybody else but um here's here's an off the point question uh, well not really because we were talking about things do you have a trophy in your house that means something to you? Uh, you know, that's funny. Um, in all the bike races and all of the uh, sporting events I've ever done, I've never won a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Not even I a have, participation have, trophy? <laughs> no. Huh. Um, I, have a, I have a couple plaques yeah. that they're not really a trophy. Like, yeah. I guess you could stand them up uh, yeah. if, if you had a super flat surface, but no, I've never, I've never won a trophy, but I have, I have some, uh, medals from bike racing days that are somewhere in my garage. Yeah. So um, you have a- actually, you know, the two, th- the two things I do have in my wall, um, I have the belt buckle and the, and the bib from Cowboy Tough. Yeah. And I have, um, my bib and my, uh, lap bandanas from World's Toughest Mudder. So, and then I have all the maps from all the big races that I've done on the map, on the walls. I think those are really cool. I love going back and looking at all the topo maps from all the adventure races. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. it, it's a cool thing. I mean, uh, the the race, and it, it was it was interesting. I was talking to one of the, um, the people that puts on the race in the central coast of California, um, all out adventures. And, uh, I was, I was, uh, remembering the, uh, all the discussions that had been on the, the Facebook, um, pages about how to make adventure racing more popular. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting to me is this race was really centered around a city. Uh, and we went in and out of the city several times and my kids got to watch it. And I started thinking about the fact that, one of the things that separates adventure racing from every other spectator sport, every other sport that I can imagine is there's basically no way for people to be spectators in adventure races. No, uh, you're <laughs> it's the dot watching is, I mean, let me tell you the, the coolest thing in the world was, uh, having my family and friends and everything be able to watch our dot during cowboy tough. Yeah. Like I got so many compliments about about that, and that was so interesting. And my wife was actually uh, really upset every time I took a navigational error. <laughs> She's like, I hope they figure out how they're going. And, and the, of course, the team's name was, of course, navigation. And yeah. like we were one of the teams that went into the valley on that first trek, and uh, everybody else was like racing by, and we're like slogging through the riverbed and. Uh, it was, it was just hilarious. Like my wife was all traumatized. So that's the other thing I hadn't anticipated was, was the kind of emotional impact of, of our dot not moving, 
uh, or our dot going in the opposite direction from other people. Yeah. Uh, and how that would kind of make my family feel it was wasn't it wasn't at all something I anticipated. But um, the the whole uh, wanting to make adventure racing kind of more accessible to people, I think, uh, really it needs a it needs that kind of spectator component because. When I go to an uh, adventure race, I go by myself or with my team, but my, my family can't go with me and watch, right? Yeah. In triathlon, they all know where we're going to go. And so uh, they can go watch and clap you on and everything else. And that would be super awesome from the spectators for it, but it would also be super awesome from the athlete's uh, point of view. If the promoters of these races made the, the maps and uh, kind of a, a charted-out route, mm-hmm. um, available to the families of the racers so that that they could actually go and and watch right i mean yeah the the whole dot watching thing is fantastic uh if i mean if i could spend an extra 40 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever per in a race to have that capacity for for my family to watch it and it was more than like a 10 or 12 hour race like i totally pay that uh because you want to share that stuff with your family, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. at least I do. Yeah. Uh, well, I think a lot of people unique. do. Yeah. No, and, you know, we kind of worked on that a little bit at Cowboy Tough. You know, Mark and Margo and Mike have, are really super. Because we did, you know, I put together video flyovers of the course. And Mark, and we did videos of him, you know, walking through the course that we would – as soon as the teams were on that section, we would post them online. But uh-huh. but getting that to everybody is really yeah. is is really hard. But um, I I know people did like that. It's it's one of the things I've been kind of fighting for is that definitely get the the maps online as soon as the race starts, and that's kind of come. And and the other thing that I'm working. I think we're going to do it at uh, Untamed New England is to get out there and literally do some filming like on a trekking section so that when the teams are on the section, the video will come up and the dot watchers will, will see the train they're going through. Um, you know, you, you still, you still can't quite do it live. I mean, you, you almost can, but um, in the right spots anyway, but, but right. yeah, just giving that. You are absolutely right. I think that it's we. It's got to get that um, experience to the to the dot watchers, for lack of a better word for them, because I think that's a good word for them. But you know, yep. yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm 47 years old. I have three kids and a wife, and I uh, race to keep my mind clear. But it would be uh, easier for me to race uh, if I could share it with my family Yeah. Um, in, in every sense. And, and, you know, when you get to be my age, uh, you've worked your whole life to, to afford um, some of the nice things. And certainly adventure racing is, is not a cheap sport. Um, and I think that, uh, that it, I, I think it would make a big difference for the sport to be able to, to share it with your family. Um, and, uh, I mean, I don't know how, how much work it is to put on an adventure race. I can only imagine. Um, I think the Cowboy Tough was, was just absolutely extraordinary. It was, mm-hmm. it was a, an experience I will never, ever forget. Um, even after I can walk normally, I will still never forget it. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, it, you know, you just, it's a, it's a, it is a step in your life uh, that changes how you view the rest of your life. Uh, and uh, you don't get very many of those in your, in your lifespan. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to live to be 47 so far, and I've had a few of them having kids, getting married. Uh, and that was one of them, right? Six days out in the wilderness and, and everything else. I mean, you, you just don't get those kind of experiences every day. And, and six days was, was a, a reasonable price to pay for that kind of experience. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, I think. I love it. 
the one thing that adventure racing can – I mean, you could – people can go out and get that experience on their own, but they don't. There are very few of them do. I mean, you could you could go for six days in the mountains and probably have a really great time by yourself. But I think you have a little competitive in you, so that having having somebody else tell you where to go to all these really cool places is is not a bad way of going. Yeah, I um, you know, part of part of it was the athletic experience, part of it was the team experience, um. I actually, it, it, the race that, I figured that a six-day race couldn't be nearly as intense as a 12-hour race, and it was just as intense for that full six days. Like, you're never off of, kind of off and just dawdling around. You're always worried about getting to where you need to go and timing and everything else. Um, and sharing that with people, uh, whether those people are, are comatose or screaming at you or totally exhausted or or sleep. It was all kind of part of the adventure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've gone out and, and gotten lost in the wilderness before, uh, for small periods of time, but, uh, it didn't have the same feeling, right? Uh, it was, it was actually really impressive in that, uh, in the adventure race, I, we were all, there was times when we were all alone, but we never felt abandoned. Hmm. And I think that was a real testament to to the 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 race promoters yeah. where you always felt like you had a uh, a safety net there um, in fact we were we were part of the group on the big on the big bike that uh, one of the guys in our group who was actually right behind me mm. uh, crashed and landed on his face and took out a good portion of his teammates and yeah. we spent two and a half hours laying on the side of the road uh, trying to keep him warm, waiting for the ambulance. And, and, uh, but we had, uh, uh, ER nurse there in 15 minutes. I mean, it was, it was an amazing, uh, amazing backup, uh, that that, that race organization had for the racers. It was, it was awesome. And I especially loved the fact that they didn't make us do the whitewater rafting in the dark after the, the rain and thunderstorm. Yeah. yeah. Cause, Cause that traumatized me the whole time. Yeah. The I thought, was just not looking forward to that. Yeah. And uh, that whole thing had about five minutes of really fun paddling from what I could tell from all from everybody that I watched go through it. So, yeah. Yeah, but, it just looked like people were lifting their boats over the rocks and dropping yeah. them down and paddling yeah. two minutes and then lifting them up again. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Well. I, I don't take this the wrong way, but when you <laughs> – well, because I was there when um, Ian came up and, and gave you the option of what you wanted to do. Yep. And you guys yep. were like, nope, we'll get in the van and go. <laughs> you you, you kind of didn't even think about it. And you guys, it, it was like you were like a mind meld right there. I was, I was, for some reason, I was very impressed that you guys just made that decision and, and were good with it. So kudos to you guys. Yeah, you know. Um, we, we, we'd, uh, we'd never, it was, it was really a testament to the team that I had that not once did we ever talk about quitting. Yeah. Um, we had never talked about, about doing anything other than pushing to finish. Um, but that, the thunderstorm, the rain, the hail, the storm, we just kind of, uh, solidified our consciousness to, to go for it. Yeah. Um, but we were not planning on doing the whitewater rafting. Yeah. Um, we were just going to carry our boats, the whitewater rafting portion. Uh, we'd already planned on, on carrying it at whatever, 14 miles, yeah. uh, to the put in at the top of the river. Um, and then doing that portion of the kayak. Uh, and so yeah. when we were kind of presented with the option of skipping that, basically we were, we were, uh, told that we wouldn't have to do the first, well, it was interesting because they offered uh, to, to take us to the bike and then they stuck us in a bathroom for three hours and then they came back and said, yeah, we're not taking you to like the whitewater rafting. So <laughs> we're like, we're like, what? And, uh, and I, I'd already torn off my, uh, my bivy sack. That was the, uh, like the $16 bivy sack. Nobody ever told me that there was like 
$50 or $70 bivy sacks and $120 bivy sacks. So I bought the $16 one that was essentially like a, a Ziploc bag with aluminum foil in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was not, that was not a good choice. Uh, and so when I was wearing it as a skirt, skirt. Uh, <laughs> I was fairly warm. Uh, and so as soon as we got in the truck, I was like screaming hot. So I tore it off. So then they told us that we had to go back into the water and I'm like, I don't know. Uh, as I said, I was super tired, uh, going into that kayak and I didn't bring the right clothes. And, uh, and then I didn't have my bivy sack anymore and we're soaking wet. Uh, it was like, it was a pretty easy decision. Uh, yeah. we just basically said, look, we'll do whatever you guys want, but we want to make sure that we're, we're not deemed, uh, what was it? The, the, short course the people that didn't finish yeah, yeah essentially short course because we've made all the time points and yep. uh we were gonna walk i mean and i was my feet were destroyed um i mean at that point i was having so much trouble walking and i just wrapped my feet with kt tape so tight that they couldn't move and i was just walking on them and, uh and it was brutal like that that bike uh the last bike we decided to go around the back side of the mountain um, and climb up the, the paved side because yeah. we've heard reports of the mud being so bad that people were getting just totally bogged down. Yep. Uh, but the paved side um, had all these uh, these like places where the, uh, they ground out the concrete in like uh, like grids so that people that fell asleep at the wheel wouldn't drive off the road. Yeah, little rumble strips um, things. Yeah, yeah, rumble strips. But on a bike, on a mountain bike with feet that were just totally destroyed uh every time i hit those i would it would be like somebody was slapping a, a belt on my feet and <laughs> i saw would scream out in pain so it'd be like riding along in the dark with the occasional car passing us with me screaming out in pain and crying all the time <laughs> it must have been just a total like total scene just driving down the road with some 200 pound uh, male driving around in a in fluorescent clothes, screaming and crying. Yeah. Uh, but, Welcome you know, to adventure racing. Hey, you know, without that kind of stuff, you don't know what sitting on the couch watching TV is, is really how useful that is. That's, that's true. Right. So exactly. So, um, I just want to well, say that, um, the, the guy you were with when you wrecked was Canis Hart and he's, he actually just posted a, like a few days ago. He's, finally been cleared and is back and running and getting ready to go hard again so um, good Canis is I heard that uh, he got he got lifted, he got uh, ambulance out and then he just had some really bad uh, bruising yeah so, so that's awesome yeah it was pretty amazing basically what he did is he put his wheel in a in the slot between a cattle guard at let's say yep. 100 miles an hour <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, the funny thing was, is that that was the only, so we're pretty familiar with those cattle guards in California, yeah. especially where I used to train. And so um, I was constantly on the lookout for them. And uh, that was the first one that we'd experienced of probably 40 of those that we had ridden over. And so I stopped kind of looking. And then uh, we, I was in the second row and he was in the third row. And he was right behind me. And we rode over that. And I looked down and I saw it. And I just started to yell out when when he went into it. Yeah. It was like, that was ugly. Yeah. Uh, that was that was super ugly. I was, uh, the, the uh, emergency room uh, nurse ended up putting me underneath a tarp, uh, spooning with him, with that guy to try to keep him warm. Because he was laying on the ground and they didn't want him to to move his uh his neck because yeah. they were worried about him breaking his broken his neck so i was sitting here spooning with some poor guy i've never met before uh <laughs> after being stuck in a windstorm like 80 mile an hour winds in the middle of the deserts of of wyoming uh and you know it's amazing how casual your conversation can be while you're spooning with another guy in the yep. middle of nowhere <laughs> on a dirt road uh but yeah, yeah. he seems to uh he seemed to, after the initial shock, kind of get used to his, his situation, and that team was just amazing. I mean, that's the thing is, I didn't, I didn't meet one person in that entire race that I didn't think like was an amazing person, and I'm not sure if it's the character of people that do adventure races or the, 
character of the people that do super long adventure races, but everybody was super nice. Yep. Even if you couldn't speak the language, they were super nice. I have said it before, and I'm going to say it again here. There's probably a dick in adventure racing somewhere, but I haven't met him or her yet. So, And I've been to a couple of races, so I, I think it just attracts good people. Yeah, I, I think so too. It's interesting because um, I've done some orienteering, mm-hmm. and nobody is friendly in orienteering. It's the weirdest thing. Like, everybody in adventure racing is, like, patting each other on the back. And if you're brand new, they're, like, taking you under their wing and showing you things. And I go with my kids and, and my wife, and we go do a, an orienteering. And the people who are taking your money, and uh, which costs, like, $6 for a race or something like that, yeah. and, and kind of helping you out. Like, they're super friendly and everything. But as soon as people start, like, actually get into the race road, everybody stops talking. Hmm. So you're on the course. And nobody will talk to you. <laughs> like, uh, maybe I just don't know the rules of, of orienteering and you're not allowed to talk to each other well, during the race yeah. or something. If you're like uh, me, if if you talk to somebody, you forget where you're going. So maybe they're, <laughs> maybe they're just more serious about racing. <laughs> so Maybe that's assuming that you know where you're going in the first place. Yep. So, um, well, word to the wise, 2020 world – World orienteering and world row gaining are in California. So, really, yep. So, uh, orienteering will be somewhere near Sacramento one weekend, and the next weekend, the uh, row gaining, from what I understand, will be up uh, near Hellhole in Tahoe. So, oh, yeah. yeah, that's not such a fun place to be, Hellhole. No, no, no. You remember no. the. Final was, Quest a couple of years ago? I was there. <laughs> yeah. Bones, uh, Roy, Malone. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I, I was not watching during that race, and that was brutal. So, that was such a brutal other, uh, Yeah, Other people have probably heard this story, but you haven't. But I was literally there lost. Sort of lost. <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. I was just about to the point where I was going to – settle down and wait for dawn to get out uh-huh. and from where they should never have been coming here comes bones uh-huh. <laughs> and i followed them up to the there was a waypoint that they had to hit got back there and refocused myself and got down <laughs> so huh. i am very familiar with their uh, adventures in um hellhole yeah <laughs> That that was amazing, and and you know, I mean, I like Roy and Roy and her friends, uh, and I was really sad after they had a twenty four hour lead in mm-hmm. that race at one point uh, for them to not have won it. Yeah. But I think it just goes to show you how powerful the women who do adventure races are, because the team that won, not only did they close a 24-hour gap, but they ended up holding off Bones for the last, I don't know, 18 or 20 hours of that race. Yeah. Uh, but they ended up getting through all that brush with he- in Hellhole. Like, yep. I think they ended up carrying their bikes over their head for like five miles through the brush. Yep, they would say, like, well, in, in not only the brush, but they, were, they would have to, I mean, they were getting to down trees that are three and four foot high. So they'd have to set their bikes over it. And then, you know, it's that wow. awkward height to crawl over the tree and then start again. And, yeah, that was God's own. That's some, that's some tough ladies. And, and Warren's fairly yeah. tough, too. But <laughs> Yeah. So, well, yeah. I think it just goes to show you that uh, when it really gets tough, there's no, there's no real difference between the men and the women. No. Uh, they just get stronger and stronger. And I think we just tend to get weaker and weaker. Uh, maybe it's the maybe it's the mental toughness that really takes over at that point. Yeah, it's just it's awesome. I I love. All right, I'm having a good chat here with you, but I really like talking to women adventure racers because <laughs> newsflash, they're different. Um, yeah, but, but the same. But um, yeah. It's, it's all just, about perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know how I know how tough my wife is, so maybe that that uh, 
colors my view of how tough women are, but I don't think so. I think they're all tough. I love all adventure racers. Yeah. I just love the yep. the female ones just a touch more, <laughs> but not in that. <laughs> but not in that way. <laughs> yeah, I understand. So, but um, okay, we're gonna wrap this up because it's my bedtime. Yeah, uh-huh. us, us, sounds us good. Good Yeah, you probably got a ride yet, huh? Yeah, it's only I don't know nine or ten here, so yeah, nine, I got to get on the bike and yeah. get some exercise. Um, what's what's next on your list for racing? Anything done for the year? Or? You know, I, no, I'm going to try to get a team of newbies together to do a six-hour race uh, in San Luis Obispo. Uh, I've done the race a bunch of times, and it's kind of not so uh, technically challenging for me anymore. So. Yeah. I figure I can get some – I'm going to actually see if I can get my kids to do it, uh, although they think I'm totally nuts <laughs> by doing adventure races, but I'm not sure how I'm going to brag them into it. But I'm going to see if I can get a bunch of new people to go do it because, you know, this this uh, sport needs new blood. And, yep. uh, they need people to take, to take uh, new people out and treat them nicely and show them the ropes and show them how much fun it is to uh, to push yourself. So, well, that so. that would be good. Well, just tell them that you know, eventually Nathan Fave is going to race with his kids, so you guys can compete against oh, yeah. each other. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think there's going to be any competition between Ian and Nathan Fave. Well, you I know, think, uh, I think he's established himself uh, in the hierarchy at the top. I certainly not. So, well, you know, it's just the the career is young yet, so to speak, for adventure racing. <laughs> Yeah, but that sounds okay. awesome. All right. Um, Thanks for the I, call. I, I am. I one thing I'm going to tell you because here's a little behind the scenes. Dave was like, "Well, you want to talk to me?" And I thought, "Yeah," because honestly, your write up about last week's race really intrigued me, and I knew you would be a uh, fun conversation. And I, I wasn't wrong. I seldom. <laughs> <laughs> so well, good. I'm glad uh, yeah. that was that was a fun. Yeah. yeah, and we were sort of formally introduced in a bathroom in a campground in Wyoming. Yeah, so that that's a bond yeah, that's the... lasts forever. <laughs> you had substantially more clothes on than I did. Yes, I um, did, which is a good thing when you're stuck with another man in a bathroom. Yes, that's but, true. Uh, <laughs> so, but, yeah, that was fun. So, I love was, those pictures too. So good was, memories. It, I, it was my obligatory team in a bathroom pitcher, so it worked out for all of us. So. That was awesome. Thank you. All right. Go put out your watts and uh, have fun. All right. Thank you. Have all a right. good night. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Why don't we ask some friends around? They can help us play this game we